Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest is the author of the poetry collection Emergency Break. Her writing has appeared in Harper's Bazaar, Guinerica, Lit Hub, Kenyan Review, and elsewhere. Originally from Moldova, she lives in Los Angeles, where she works as an HIV and primary care pharmacist. Her debut novel, All Night Pharmacy, is out now. Please welcome Ruth Madievsky. Hey, Ruth. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I am a longtime listener. I'm super excited to be here. I, yes, thank you for being here. I have... I remember seeing your name like on a Zoom that I did with a few authors months and months, like a year ago, two years ago. And I knew your book was coming out because Catapult is really good about keeping me updated on debuts and especially debuts that don't even have galleys yet. They're like, be on the lookout for this. Catapult's amazing. Um, And so I, you're one of the few people, you and then Brandon Taylor, who like, I really love on social media. Like you're doing it right. Not that (laughs) authors need to be like, funny on social media but you you are and I just appreciate like how active you are with like readers (laughs) fans memes everything I'm glad to hear that because it's definitely mostly a good thing for me because you know not coming from an MFA or PhD background Mm -hmm. and working in healthcare full-time that's basically where my whole community lives is online um so despite Twitter often being a toxic hellscape it's also where all my writer friends are so I feel like I could never leave there Exactly. Like Twitter's the worst. I have yet to leave it. But uh, anyway, I just want to compliment you on your social media game because I really love it. Um, that makes me and, happy. Me, me and yeah. my dumbass memes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Finding friends one idiotic post at a time. <laughs> for, yes. I mean, you're slaying. Um, before we dive into All Night Pharmacy, uh, I usually ask this at the end of podcasts, but I want to throw it at the beginning because today, Day Beautiful just released our best of so far, you know, best of 2023 so far. So I'm just curious, what have you been enjoying this year, last year? I know you have a busy personal life, but have you been able to read a lot? Um, So before I had my baby a few months ago, I was reading, you know, like several books a week. And now it's yeah. more like, you know, one book every month, if yeah. even. <laughs> often like while nursing or something with, mm-hmm. you know, flipping the pages with one hand, getting milk everywhere. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, lately, r- right now I'm reading The Guest by Emma Klein, which is mm-hmm. exactly as good as the hype, you know, would have you believe it to be. Um, and then in terms of debuts, um, I have loved uh, The Applicant by Nasli Koga. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really great. I read with Nasli a few months ago, and she's just so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. So like deadpan, like amazing kind of political commentary on um the political situation in Turkey, on mm-hmm. the family, on immigrant baggage, which I so relate to. Um, and then I love Maggie Milner's uh, novel in poems, couplets. Yeah. That one is so hot, so yeah. funny. Like, I don't know, whenever I hear like about a book length poem, I'm always a little nervous that I'm going to get bored or if I put it down, I'll forget everything that came before. But yeah. that one just like rips through you and it's so sexy. Yeah, I, I love sexy books. Um, I know. <laughs> yeah. Number one priority. <laughs> that is honestly it. Um, yeah, and with um, Nasli, I think I used to, you know, book events for Tatter Cover Bookstore here in Denver where I live, and I know she lives here now. Yeah. And she was like one of the last events I booked, and I couldn't make the event because I was just like out of town. I was like, you've got to oh, be sad. kidding me, because I really wanted to see her speak. Um, 
But yeah, and and you mentioned you did a reading with her. Uh, who else did you read? That that was like an event about like it, it was you, her. Was it um, I'm blanking. Nina Setchkin name. and yes, Jean Frazier. Yeah, that yeah. was just like an all star. Yes, yeah, that's that, everyone that was I so love fun. in the debut game right now, like Ugh. this current cycle. Well, um, I, I think I think you and I first met through that Zoom event that Mina Sechkin was reading at. There we go. Yeah, that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah, and her book, The Four Humors, is incredible. I've mm -hmm. read and reread it so many times. And I don't know, it just, not not to be like an immigrant conspiracy theorist, but like, why is every immigrant culture low-key the same? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, I remember reading in her book, that she and the main character and her grandma are like sitting on their couch in Istanbul watching these like super toxic talk shows, you know, and with like, pseudoscientific dieting advice and like people relitigating their like most traumatic family dramas and that's literally what russian television is <laughs> yeah and, and you write a lot about like immigrant uh family in your book the all-night pharmacy there's a lot more going on in it but i will transition to asking you what's the book about from your perspective because i cannot explain explain what books are that's like even though i do it daily <laughs> i am like yeah it's just really cool and sexy and like vibes but uh What's All Night Pharmacy? What's your debut all about? Yeah, so it's about two sisters uh, with a close but toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. um, our older sister, Debbie, is the really chaotic, larger-than-life one who kind of drags our unnamed narrator into sort of all these various L.A.-based pits of hell, these mm -hmm. like dive bars with their menagerie of misfit weirdos, um, lots of um, drug use, um, and basically, the older sister, uh, after a violent encounter with our narrator, goes missing. And the narrator has to decide whether to go looking for her or not. Um, and then along the way, as she's trying to make this decision, she encounters this young woman who claims to be a psychic from the former Soviet Union, whose job is to be the narrator's spiritual guide. Mm -hmm. um, her name is Sasha. And they embark upon this kind of psychosexual um ambiguous power dynamic relationship where Sasha is claiming to be the narrator's amulet that she's going to protect her and get her back on the right path the universe wants her on mm -hmm. uh, but it's not clear if that's really what is best for the narrator um, and you know kind of other things that come up are intergenerational trauma especially mm -hmm. uh, the legacy of Soviet terror and Jewish trauma um, kind of the slippery ways that intergenerational trauma presents itself in people who are several generations removed yeah. Um, that's something that was really interesting to me is uh, people who might not know that they're responding um, to these historical legacies and family lore that maybe they've heard in the background, but don't realize how much it might be guiding their present day um, actions and relationship dynamics. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's also a queer coming of age story. It's an L.A. story. Um, yeah. I think it's it's if it sounds bleak, I promise it's also funny. Or at least I tried to make it funny. I could honestly say like All Night Pharmacy checks everything off that I personally love. And it's like, hands down, one of my favorite books since I've been doing Debut Full, oh probably longer. <laughs> that means so much I, to me. Thank you. Um, like it, yeah, like everything you talk about just now and like how I pitch books to my friends, it's like, I like bummers, but usually they're funny <laughs> and there's like a little bit of steam in it. Um, you mentioned, there's a lot of ways I want to go, but I want to hit a few things. You work in healthcare full time. I other than the years I worked at Tatter Cover Bookstore, I have worked in like social work, healthcare. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not in the book world full time, really. What's it like? Yeah. Being like that. Cause I feel like there's so many MFA people. There's so many people who are teaching. 
but there's very few people not or there are a lot of lawyers turned writers but yeah, not people who are just think. I'm working in healthcare full-time I'm not having anything to do with literature what's it like for you yeah I mean you know I'll be honest I went into healthcare partly from like a very pragmatic immigrant standpoint. Like I've known I was going to be a pharmacist since I was probably nine years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, my mom's a pharmacist. uh, My dad's a doctor. And, uh, you know, just this idea of finding a stable career that no matter what happens in this country, you know, if it goes the way of the one that we left and I'm from Moldova, which is, you know, one of the poorest countries in Europe. um, Mm -hmm. And we came here as political refugees because of uh, state sanctioned anti-Semitism over there. Um, so, you know, there was kind of this idea that like, find a job that no matter what happens in this country, you will always be employed, you know, or always have the opportunity to be employed with a degree that's very, um, you know, commonly needed, I guess you could say, which is mm-hmm. where I think why a lot of immigrants navigate toward healthcare jobs, because we're always going to need pharmacists, we're always going to need doctors and nurses. Um, yeah. So that was kind of the path I was on for a long time without really thinking about it critically. Um, but I've loved to write since I was young too. And um, I think I just, I had this very diluted sense that, you know, either you are a writer who makes millions of dollars a year or you make zero dollars and your books don't get published. Like I didn't really do the research when I was younger about how pretty much everyone lives in the in-between. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I stuck with writing and I took workshops where I could, I took classes where wow. I could, you know, found a lot of writing community online. And I think that working in healthcare even when I was just studying to be a pharmacist and having to miss all the cool readings that were happening around town because they were 2 p.m. on a Wednesday and I had yeah. work, um, it gave me so much FOMO, which I think really drove me to to do a lot of like self-education and writing and to really make the time to do the ass and chair method and write in every nook and cranny I could because I had the sense that everyone else was writing while I was at work. Mm. Um, and so the beginning, I would say that working in healthcare and not being full-time in the literary world was a huge source of angst for me. Um, and now that I'm working full time and have better work life balance, um, and don't have, you know, homework when I get home. Um, now, I mean, I find it really rewarding to be, um, an HIV and primary care pharmacist during the day and then to do my writing in all the interstitial spaces, uh, partly because, you know, I feel like no matter what happens with my writing on a day that I go to my day job, I help make someone's life better, Yeah, you know, um, making that tangible difference, helping to improve people's quality of life, helping to address, problems that they're having, um, that gives me a lot of, um, joy and meaning. Um, and, and it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off my writing. I think that I can have, you know, a bad writing day or a bad writing several weeks, but I've still contributed something I'm proud of. Yeah, no, that's yeah, definitely. I, um, for a long time worked with families who had infants and toddlers with disabilities. So Mm. it was like draining, but, um, that's like kind of how day beautiful was born. I was like, I have all this like a different part of my brain I'm not using mm-hmm. all day. Um, and I was writing freelance, et cetera. But yeah, um, I mean, what you do is amazing. And then and being a pharmacist, how many people in your like healthcare world or like even personal life really thought like the all night pharmacy was going to just be about like a pharmacist doing weird things at night? A lot, a yeah. lot. I mean, I think a lot of people assume it's autobiographical just because yeah. of the, you know, the title alone. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, the, the title was kind of a late addition. We we were uh, futzing with it pretty much up until it went on submission because mm-hmm. um, I'm horrible at titles. Um, the original title was Prescriptions because it works both ways, Adam. It's both yeah. a phys- of medical prescription and it's advice you're giving. And yes. our narrator needs advice. Yeah. 
I yeah. like that. Online <laughs> pharmacy is hot though. Um, it's it's pretty good. One of my friends, uh, the writer Maria Kuznetsova, she interviewed me for full stop and she asked me is it called an all-night pharmacy because there's just so much shit in here like it's so many <laughs> different genres it's a detective story a queer yeah. story it's an immigrant story and i was like well i'm gonna tell people it is yeah i love when people just give you the ideas you can run with um mm-hmm. how long were you working on this like when did all-night pharmacy what it became when did, like yeah like what year were you, did you start it yeah so i worked on it in a lot of different phases so i started sure. it as a link story collection in 2014 and it was very, very non-committal then. Like I would write a story or two a year. Um, usually when the writer TC Boyle would come to USC to meet with students, I like mm-hmm. somehow finagled my way into those meetings, even though I was <laughs> in the pharmacy school, fully on a different campus, not at all in the PhD. But I think I just like lingered around their reading so much they just thought I was one of them or they took pity on me. They could like set, smell the desperate stench on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but so I would meet with him once a semester. I'd show him these stories I was working on that were all in the same universe. Um, he was very encouraging. He had a very like light touch when it came to feedback and was just kind of like, we talked about the themes. He encouraged me to keep going, to find an agent at some point. Um, and I pretty much would only write a story when he would come to town. So a couple times a year. Um, and that was starting in 2014. And then uh, 2019, an agent who read some of the stories online reached out to see if I had a novel. I sent him the short stories I had, which was like five years of work was like 48 pages, double space, like basically nothing. Yeah. Um, and we didn't end up working together, but that agent suggested that um, it could work better as a novel because then the themes could be kind of more than the sum of their parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because a lot of the stories were circling similar themes. And one of the main through lines was that the narrator's sister, Debbie, is missing. Um, and so I decided to give it a shot, not really feeling confident at all that I'd be able to pull it off because... I really thought that to write a cohesive novel, you'd have to outline, you'd have to know where it was going. Um, But I basically just decided to try to write 500 words a day and to email it back and forth with my friend, uh, the writer, Billy O'Neill. So I did that for a month or two. And then, you know, somehow 20,000 words came out and I basically copy pasted that at the end of where the short stories ended Mm. and, you know, Frankenstein, this like terrible draft, um, and then just rewrote it a bunch of times and put more meat on the bones of the short stories to make it work as a novel. Um, so, you know, I guess I technically started it in 2014, sure. but, it, but it didn't really take off until 2019. And then we sold it in 2021. Rad. Yeah. And like the Frankenstein of the short stories and then the 20,000 word novel, like um, how long from when you finally were like, okay, I have something to when you started sending it to like agents? So I got very, very lucky and had kind Uh of an atypical experience where, um, you know, I finished the first draft probably in January, 2021. And then, you know, I shared it with um, some writer friends and one of my writer friends um, said like, oh, you need to query my friend Mina uh, at Janko and Nesbitt. She's, you know, young and hungry. She's really building her list. Like, I think you guys would really vibe. And so I queried Mina with, you know, what was essentially a first draft that I had revised a couple times, yeah. but definitely, I think it was the best I could do at the time. But now looking back on it, it's like, wow, she took a chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And we just, we vibed instantly. She had amazing um, kind of constructive criticism on what was working, what, what we would want to flesh out. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, basically, we just decided to work together. And I think we she she offered to rep me literally the week that everything closed uh, in March 2021. Great, so it was kind yeah. of a very hopeful thing of uh, embarking on this partnership to make art together as the world was breaking down. 
Yeah. Um, what were, if you can think back, like what were some of the things that were working then? And then what were like, you had to just completely redo it. Yeah. I mean, I think things that were working were on a line level, you know, because I come from a poetry background, I, it is impossible for me to just write like an okay sentence. I really, which isn't to say that I think every sense of my book is amazing, but on some sure. level, I guess I do. <laughs> like I, like I really <laughs> couldn't let anything that was mediocre stay. I really bled over every word um, which, you know, can be a somewhat miserable editing experience sometimes, but, you know, I think I ended up with a draft that I showed Mina that at least on a sentence level was very polished. Um, you know, and I, and I think I, my kind of crutch that I had to, uh, force myself not to lean on all the time was like dark humor and just kind of throwing in like, you know, a wry joke every two seconds rather than saying something real. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of one of the big problems was that when you stitch together a bunch of short stories, you know, you might say something like, and then I got sober, which in a short story, like that's fine. Maybe you can collapse an entire life into a sentence, but in a novel that's like so unsatisfying for a reader. Um, so I really had to spend a lot of time kind of putting meat on the bones and, uh, basically rewriting all the short stories into something that worked as a novel. Um, so I, I would say that on a language level, like some of my favorite sentences got to stay, and that general um, kind of chiseling at every sentence work ethic stayed. But, you know, plot wise, there were holes, there were decisions I hadn't made because it was just easier to write a joke than to flesh out a character. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's what we spent like a year doing together. For sure. And like, I know you tweeted about this recently. We also referenced it, but the idea of like all debut novels, people feel autobiographical um yeah it's just the most annoying question i like always touch base on it just to be like hey listeners this is an autobiographical (laughs) let's move on but uh, i'm curious do you have an like i have an older sister who's four school grades older than me Mm -hmm. and uh i connected with these characters because i just remember being like 17 16 like going to like old man house parties with my sister like that because she was like you know dating older dudes Mm-hmm. I'm just and I looked older I guess but like I just was like god my sister got me into like so much so many bad situations <laughs> but in a great way we're good friends now but like do you have a sister do you like did you base all anything on siblingness no so I have a younger brother and he's my <laughs> best friend and we we have a very kind of wholesome uh fun, <laughs> so you're you're not a troublemaker you didn't put him <laughs> not, in, not in that way but you know <laughs> so the sibling part totally fictional but you yeah. know having grown up in LA I think I've I've done my time you know in seedy bars mm-hmm. where you're you're you know chatting with some friend of a friend you have no idea if like you know if they're like writing a script about like you know I don't know whale bestiality with their like florist grandma which was like a thing you could do in LA or if yeah. they like actually work for HBO you know what I mean like it's yeah. just it's it's such a weird city where it feels like either one of those opportunities is equally likely almost um that, that that's the kind of person you'd meet at one of our bars here um so I've, I've kind of I've lived a life <laughs> yeah. to some degree so some of the stuff in there is loosely based on experience sure. I've had but uh mostly fictional yeah of course I mean as all good books are um yeah there's just so many different things I want to talk about especially like y- you mentioned the book has so many different things, detective story, coming of age story, immigrant story. Um, did that stem from the fact that the, this was like born through short stories or did you mm. just want to, did you just want to be like, I want to throw everything at the wall that I love? It's so funny. I really don't 
write when I'm drafting with any sort of like agenda or hopes and dreams other yeah. than finding a voice that I'm into and just letting the voice talk um, and trying to get in the voice's way as little as possible. Um, and only when I edit, do I kind of start to like clean it up a little bit. Mm. And, you know, sometimes the voice rants for a while and we need to like get them to hone it in. Um, but yeah, writing the book, I really didn't have any idea where it was going when I was drafting it, except that there would be this through line of the narrator and her toxic sister, the sister goes missing. Do we find her? Is she alive or dead? Do we ever find out? Um, you know, and kind of one of the one of the other narrative arcs of the book was is the narrator going to become her own person? Because so much of the book is about her living in her sister's shadow and what happens when the sister disappears and the narrator doesn't have to constantly be navigating the world in response to her sister. Um, and how does that get complicated when she has this, you know, kind of ambiguous relationship with this alleged psychic who is kind of telling her what to do the way that her sister did, but allegedly to help her. Um, yeah. So, you know, so that was, that was sort of as much as I knew about the book. And, you know, I, I, when I started free writing it, the section in Moldova just kind of came out whole cloth. Um, and that was a few months after I had been to Moldova for the first time since immigrating as a kid. Oh, yeah. um, so I had no memories of Moldova because we came when I was two. Sure. Um, and so a lot of what happens in that section itinerary wise are kind of the points I hit on my trip where we spent some time in the Jewish cemetery. It really is as grim and decrepit as I describe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we saw the hospital where I was born, the apartment where my family lived with its kind of rundown, super like washed out exterior. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I was kind of just vibing <laughs> with the yeah. first draft and just seeing what happens. And, um, you know, I also... I'm not someone who gets off on like really intense research. Like as much as I love reading about people's yeah. forays into the archive, I'm not someone who likes to foray into the archive too much. Um, so for example, there's multiple scams involving uh, controlled prescription drugs like opiates and benzos. And, you know, that didn't require too much research because I remember the laws around prescribing them and disposing of them and reporting them as stolen because I had to learn them for my boards. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, I knew there had to be some scams in the book, but those were scams that I could speak to. For sure. And um, the decision for the narrator to remain unnamed, was that something that was always you yeah. were going to do? Yeah, I just couldn't think of a single name that worked for her. <laughs> that's um, the reason, though? Like <laughs> that That's kind of the reason, you know, Otessa Moshevik has this amazing quote. Um, from when she was promoting my year of rest and relaxation where someone asked her why doesn't your narrator have a name and she said like what the fuck am I supposed to call her Jennifer yeah <laughs> <laughs> like I feel that so much like yeah like what's her name Gertrude you know um it's you know the narrator's a little bit of a cipher right and so much of the book is about her trying to craft an identity for herself and I think that part of that blank slateness um works with not having a set name and I don't even know her name personally. Like it almost feels like it's none of my business. Yeah. Um, you know, I have maybe a slight theory of the first initial of her name, um, which is, you know, kind of in the Jewish tradition, you often name people after um a relative that's passed away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have this idea that maybe her name starts with the letter S, but I don't even feel strongly about that. I feel like I haven't earned <laughs> the right to know. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, and then just like talking more about like the the construction of the book um we touched on it briefly but just like the sentence mm -hmm. level working with uh mina right at uh mm -hmm. your agent um mm -hmm. once it gets sold what is it like working with like the catapult editor 
It was amazing. So my editor, Alicia Kroll at Catapult, just got what the book was doing immediately. Um, and I know that a lot of people say that, but for me, it was really important because I did take meetings with other editors and, you know, everyone was perfectly kind. None mm -hmm. of the meetings were a bad experience, but, you know, some people really didn't understand why the intergenerational trauma was in the book at all. Um, some of them really felt that at its heart, this is a sisterhood story. This is an addiction mm -hmm. story, like all this shit about Moldova and family legacies great but like put it in a different book not this one mm -hmm. um whereas alicia instantly understood that without those threads there is no book and that um you know this legacy of post-soviet jewish trauma that's affecting the narrator who several generations removed that that really is underlying all of her relationship dynamics to some degree it's why or it's related to her mom's kind of kaleidoscope of obscure mental illnesses it um, has to do with why the narrator isn't willing early on to just cut off her toxic sister the way that, um, you know, some people who aren't immigrants might just become estranged from someone who's toxic in their life. I think it could be really hard for people who have lost relatives in the Holocaust, for example, to just toss family members aside, even if they might be better off doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so Alicia understood that immediately and was really good at um, pointing out the threads where we needed to pull it out a little harder because I, I have this like deadly fear of being schmaltzy and heavy handed and kind of like telling the reader what to think. So mm -hmm. in my early drafts, I tend to withdraw a little more and be a little more coy. Um, and I really had to push it more in the other direction, put more on the page with interiority um, and character motivation because it was like a little too vibey for a <laughs> while. Um, so Alicia was really good at figuring out, you know, where where are the areas where we should put some scenes? Where are the points? There are many of them where I'm just like throwing out a banger of a line instead of actually doing deep work on the on yeah. a craft level. Yeah. Um, so we spent about a year revising together and um, you know, ended up with a draft that I was so happy with that by the time copy edits came around, um, you know, I read it probably five times for several rounds of proofreading and stuff, and I never made anything major of a change because I just felt really good about it at that point. Yeah. And then, you know, the complete package, the cover, I know we, we DM'd about the, uh, the cover journey, uh, like, mm -hmm. I mean, months and months ago. And then, you know, we lay you land on this like very LA vibey cover, which I love, but I just like talk about the, the final cover, like how it came to be. And like, yeah, cause I think it's gorgeous. I think it's one of the best ones past five years for sure. Oh my God, I love you. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, er, you know, early on when we were talking about cover ideas, I told my team that I really wanted like a lot of color yeah. um, and maybe like a kind of weird central image. So mm -hmm. neon and something in some photo or image in the middle of the book that kind of makes you look a little closer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my team really delivered. They gave me a lot of different options. And, um, you know, we we actually we landed on a different cover in the beginning Um that um you know toward the toward the end of the book the narrator receives a mysterious postcard in the mail which has a picture of a woman holding an enormous conch shell in front of her face and the shell kind of has this like yonic vaginal opening type thing um and we actually had a cover with that image on it but then the photographer um decided not to license it because mm. i think they're very successful <laughs> and could probably make a lot more money off of it by not licensing it to us and you know selling it yeah um, in their country so we scrapped that one. We had another cool cover that had this very like sexy um, knife under mm. neon lighting. So also very vibey, very kind of both dangerous, but 
kind of hot. And then, you know, it turns out that covers with weapons on them, not great for being face out at bookstores. Mm -hmm. So we ended up scrapping that one. Um, And then there were a bunch of other options in between. And, you know, all of them kind of had this same colorful background with a photo in the middle. Um, And it was just about finding the right photo and the right colors. And as soon as I saw the neon, you know, yellow, green gradient, that was instantly it for me. Um, And then once uh, Greg Kulik was the cover designer, um, when he found that photo of, you know, the woman with kind of the crumpled paper in front of her face, that just felt like such a a perfect uh, metaphor for our narrator. You know, she has this line in the book that um, when she describes her relationship with Debbie, that Debbie was artist and she was canvas. And that photo feels like it encompasses so much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought, I wasn't sure if you were going to bring up the the cover with the knife because that's what we were DMing about. Uh, and I, I want that to be brought up because I feel like a lot of listeners who aren't published yet, I, I just like them to get the full picture of like what publishing is like. Like, it's not just yeah. like, hey, I want it to be this. It's like the art is one thing, but the business side does take precedence sometimes. <laughs> Totally, totally. And it's and it's it's so funny because you find yourself ready to like commit to a cover that you love, but then you get in one you love even more later. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a funny experience of like constantly, uh, you know, kind of being open to surprises and, you know, hopefully trusting your team and yeah. um, working with a press that really gets what you're doing. And I'm very lucky in that respect. Um, so you mentioned, I'm not going to ask about motherhood, but congratulations. Um, reading's tougher. Is writing tougher right now? Or what's book two? Oh my three? God. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. Writing is basically impossible at the moment, other than things that I've kind of already committed to doing sure. for my book. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, interestingly, when I do carve out the time to write, like if I have a family member, um, here to kind of watch my baby for like an hour or two while I write, like it's, I feel like I write with a gun to my head. So, <laughs> you know, there isn't a lot of like dilly dallying and like, you know, vibing, sipping my tea, lighting a candle. It's very like, <gasps> like, yeah. you know, like slamming the keyboard that, you know, the, the printed letters on the keys are wearing off, you know, calluses, yeah. hangnails, um, just trying to like get it in, in that time. Um, and I've spent a lot of, a lot of the editing has happened with me, putting what I've written on a Google doc that I then scroll on my phone while I'm breastfeeding (laughs) on hand, I make edits. Yeah. So yeah. So right now it's kind of survival writing, (laughs) just things that I have committed to doing. Not so much uh, working on another manuscript, but um, I do have a poetry collection that's basically done that hopefully we'll send out before too long. Um, And then I hope to get hooked on another voice for a new novel yeah. Um, I definitely have some ideas floating around in my head and I've written a little bit, but haven't like committed to one idea yet. For sure. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't wait. Trust me. I, uh, yeah. I, you, you previously published a poetry collection like in 2015, mm-hmm. right? I haven't yeah. read it yet. I got to track it down, track down a copy. Um, oh, so I'll I send you tra- one. I will bug you up via email for <laughs> sure. Um, we, at the beginning, we talked about what you've currently been reading, but I am actually curious, like, what were, like, your reading vibes your entire life? Like, I'll, I'll end on that. Like, what 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 did you grow up loving? What did you hate? What like, Tell mm. me all about your reading habits. Sure. Oh, I love that question. Um, well, I guess first series that I remember loving was the the Wayside School series. Did you read mm-hmm. those? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah th- those, those were so fun. Just like, you know, kooky kids and their kooky teachers um, kind of getting into mischief. Um, and then I was very into a series of unfortunate events. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got into Harry Potter, um, kind of all the like series yeah. that I think a lot of people love. Um, and then, you know, 
around the time that I became more serious about writing, I got very into voice-driven literary fiction. So, you know, like Rachel Kushner's The Flamethrowers, anything mm. by Melissa Broder, um, Lust yes. by Raven Leilani, anything by Brian Washington. Um, you know, just like books where they have a plot to some degree, but, you know, you really can just luxuriate in the narrative voice. And yeah. I'm very into books that are... Um, they have to be at least a little bit funny for me to love them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I like, like you, I like a bummer, but yeah. it needs to have some, some yeah. or two for me to like really love it because I can't do just bleakness all the way through. No, for sure. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, mostly because I could tell like what a book's going to be like based on the writer now, you know, like I've just been soaked into it. It's like, I have to go, I go bummer jams. And then I was like, let's <laughs> do some funny satire. But it's all about vibes for me. We should just once you once your baby is like doing their own thing, we should start a podcast just called Vibes, and then oh, I we'll love just that. Yeah. We'll <laughs> talk about no plot at all, just how we felt about a book. Um, <laughs> yeah, Brian Washington. Oh, he has a new book coming out. Love I'm it. I'm so excited. I the day that it was announced, I'm pretty sure I like threw an email at his publicist. Yeah. yeah. Like I, um, zero chill. Yeah. Uh, I, I did something similar with Melissa Broder's new book. Um, yes. Have you read Beth it yet? Really I haven't. Um, Kelly, AKA Lady Day Beautiful, really loves Melissa's work as well. So I gave it to her to re read mm -hmm. before me. And I'm like, maybe I should take it back. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Melissa Broder's like the queen of dark comedy and <laughs> yes, yeah. Jewish vibes and intergenerational <laughs> trauma and kind of all the things I love. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, we, yeah, all the same book book vibes. Uh, well, Ruth, thanks so much for talking to me. I could talk to you forever, but I like to keep these Same. relatively short. Um, congratulations on everything. All Night Pharmacy, one of the best books of the year, not just debuts. Love it so much. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Your support means a lot. And, you know, this probably sounds very schmaltzy, which is always the thing I'm afraid of. But I don't know, when you write a book, you like just because I enjoy reading it, you never have any sense if other people feel the same especially from like a pacing perspective, like wondering mm -hmm. if it's, if it's going to keep people's attention, if it's like so slow and boring, if it's the kind of thing that people binge, like I find it completely impossible to assess yeah. that on my own. So it always means a lot to hear about someone enjoying it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just before we sign off officially, yeah, pacing is like a big vibe thing for me. Love the book, love the pacing. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't you. ask you about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank uh, you. I mean, that, that was also something that, that took a lot of crafting and you know that I didn't know I had pulled off until other people told me yeah because yeah I feel like I could just listen to myself talk but um yeah it's it's hard to assess I think on your own where the heat is and when to slow down when <laughs> to draw something out so that that yeah. means a lot thank you so much to Ruth for joining the day beautiful podcast this was one I was excited about for months and months and months and I'm finally excited that her debut novel all night pharmacy is out now and everyone can love it as much as I do you can find her on the internet at ruthmadievsky.com and her first and last name at all social media, Twitter, TikTok, all the good things. Um, you can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.